welcome, Josiah. Welcome to the Creation Thank you. Goals podcast. This is our you. second episode, our first guest over Zoom, uh, hopefully many more. Awesome. You are in yeah. Reading currently, right? Yes. And um, tell the people a little about who you are and what you do and kind of introduce yourself. Okay. Um, yeah. So my name's Josiah Beeson, um, and I do a lot of things, but one of them is um, sort of creatively trying to figure out a new way to be a human being um, <laughs> yeah. through ta- like constant conversation with Jesus. Um, that's like, that's my thing. Um, and it's kind of a new thing. I was, um, a staunch (laughs) non-believer last (laughs) year, um, and went from sort of atheism to like, like magic. And like, then I got into aliens and there's a whole, I could, I could go so many routes, but basically the, the end of all of the battle of who would uh maintain my ultimate beliefs ended up being Jesus and so now I make music uh I plan on writing books um I actually have started one and um not to be too like uh oh no yeah I'll I'll be very idealistic yeah I I plan on uh coming up with ideas like kind of co co-authoring ideas with God that change technology that change the way that we do um yeah i'll just say it like i feel like i feel like on some level like i want to create um new ways to um space travel um i want to um write books that change the way that people do science um i want to make music that um alters the course of history and i think that that's all plausible when i'm in conversation with the creator of the universe so that's what I do. <laughs> um, like the ideal guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you think you're that? You're thinking that big? Welcome to the Creative Goals yeah. podcast, where everyone thinks bigger than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Before I do want to talk about those ideas and those those big goals and dreams, and then, like, to give the people a little more backstory, can you get into like your testimony and what yeah. got you into, just what got you through the roller coaster of life and everything that you were believing? Yeah, um, well, I'll try to think of a really succinct way of mm-hmm. saying it. Um, so to I'll do like the crash course up until three years ago and then slow down a little bit um, for the last three years and then give the like meaty details of the last like three months. Um, So I grew up um, in church. Uh, My parents were uh, pastors, missionaries. We lived in Africa for a couple years. I grew up around like healing miracles. I grew up around um, like people being like uh p- like demon possessed and getting set free of that so like wild like supernatural things um and i never really i it was always around me but i never personally experienced it so there wasn't this visceral experiential um sort of impact on my 
worldview, even though it was like part of my worldview, I never fully adopted it as myself. So I had like supernatural surroundings, but didn't fully invest myself, um, I think, intellectually into that. And so um, fast forward to uh, 2016, um, I was a worship leader on staff at a, a really large church that I grew up in. Um, and that you that you <laughs> went to and that we're also on staff. Yeah, we know each other um, from working together at the same big church. It was our first big yeah. job right out of high school. So, yeah, we yeah. Kinda, we've known each other for a long time, like 10 years, I think. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so there was this like there was this period where um, I remember I started to explore a certain aspect of my faith that was not um it try i'll try to say this delicately like it wasn't in line with where the church that i was at uh where their theology was heading and so there was this split and sort of like a divided interest and um it more so than anything made me start to question like am i wrong about like my genuine pursuit of truth um and so that got me down this path um where I was questioning, like, okay, why do I believe what I believe? Um, why am I at the specific type of Christian that I am? So I I realized that I'm not just, a, you know, like, it's not just the truth, but I am a evangelical in a Protestant tradition. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of assumptions that my worldview actually had that I wasn't aware of. And so that, um, instead of inspiring me to look into my history, um and understanding the like sort of forefathers that were or in forefathers and foremothers that were like yeah like we established this i ended up just tearing it all apart and pretty much looking at like why am i a christian from the standpoint of why do people say that it's dumb to be a christian um and so i googled it and i remember um i had just gotten married this was like 3 months into my marriage and i was on my bed like sitting there with this like uh website open and it was 50 proofs that god is imaginary like dot com or something uh <laughs> and they literally like it was like 50 logical um it, like treatises of this is why god isn't real and so i remember reading that this is december 2016 i'm on church staff i you know i'm like a worship leader guy and doing the whole thing. And I'm sitting there in my bed, realizing that I don't believe any of it. And I, it was like someone opened, it wasn't like a gradual descent. It was like someone opened up a trap door is like, yep, you're an atheist now. And it was so sudden. And it was like everything had gone out the window. And I scrambled to reassess and sort of like try to like recuperate and recover um, any form of faith that I could um, at the time out of desperation to pay rent still because my my income was dependent on my belief system <laughs> and so I was I was forced into this interesting spot where I was like trying to yeah you know, like I was trying to reconcile uh, like my love of science or my love of like understanding the universe with my Christianity and you know like a sort of like some of the more classic whatever like uh creationism or uh um 
sort of like did was Jesus a real person did he really die and resurrect those types of like questions that a lot of times come up for people I had to like try to find some sort of makeshift uh worldview because I couldn't go back to where I was which was just like wholesale yep I buy the whole you know ticket of my faith and I didn't want to be an atheist because it meant that I would lose my job um, and so I had to find this middle ground. And so I was tearing through, uh, denomination a week, <laughs> trying to figure out like, can I be an Episcopalian? Can I be like a Presbyterian? Maybe, maybe I can be a Catholic and still hold on. Sure. Um, and so over the course of about a year and a half, I ended up getting to this point where I was like, yeah, I, man, I can't hold on to any of this. And I really don't think I believe in a God in general. Um, and then I was just an atheist and quit it. I quit the church um, and went on tour for a little while with my friend's band, which was amazing. Um, that ended up like falling apart. Got a job doing uh, rigging for like convention centers and, you know, like just pretty much like like went this weird route with my life Um started doing a ton of drugs and smoking cigarettes all the time. And, you know, like just like anything to sort of like stimulate my senses or sort of have some sort of satisfaction. Um, and because I had lost this like purpose or drive where I was like, okay, like I need something to make my life feel meaningful. And I started, uh, pursuing cheaper and cheaper ways of getting that done. Um, and so that fast forward to 2020, um, I was or and still am separated from my wife, which that's something I'm praying about. And I'm waiting for a miracle with that. Um, but I basically am living with friends and decide, you know what, like I'm going to research for some reason. And this is going to be so weird. This is what brought me back to faith. I decided to research what the oldest building that humans built was and <laughs> that's cool. I'm curious and what that is they're called ziggurats uh, <laughs> which is like so uh there's step pyramids so the the classic like babylonian uh aztec the egyptian they all have these like step pyramids and i started realizing that they're um they were heavily connected with like actual spiritual um uses so a lot of like heraclitus which are, i hope i'm saying that right but he's like one of the famous like first historians ever and he wrote um about how the ziggurat in babylon was actually home for this for a god um i think it was marduk um but like ancient people literally believed that these spiritual beings i, I think they're spiritual beings at this point i i for a while i thought they were aliens ancient aliens sort of style but I think that essentially I like started seeing in ancient cultures that there were these like spiritual beings that were actually interacting on like a, a constant basis with the cultures and they were building religions around it. So the these concepts were not just like um, sort of like a religious propaganda. They were like the reality of cultures back then. Um, and I, I realized that these ziggurats were actually the center of most of the first cities that were ever built. Um, and that essentially it's affected culture ever since. And so I'm like, 
what is going on? Why is like the entire world built off of like these religious spiritual symbolisms? And so then that took me from staunch materialism, empiricist, atheist to, okay, maybe, maybe there's aliens or maybe there's like, uh, I don't know, like I got into spiritual stuff, but didn't know how it worked. And so after some research, I went, I went down some weird routes um, <laughs> and like pretty much at a certain point, like late 2020, literally thought I was like a reincarnated like alien from another planet that was like here to save the world. No lie. <laughs> that was that was where I was at. I was like just trying to figure it out. Um, and so I ended up um, I ended up having this whole sort of guru approach to life where I was like, we're going to I'm going to get a ton of people to follow me. And we're going to be nomads and we're going to go out to the, you know, like we're going to leave society, leave money behind, you know, like and we're going to restart humanity, figure out how to do this in peace and whatever. Like I, in my head, I was like communal living. Let's figure out space travel. Like let's 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 make a renaissance of human culture where we shed the burdens of the past four, six thousand years of human culture and start fresh. And obviously no one was going to do that with me because <laughs> <laughs> so I decided I would practice what I preached. Um, and one day, and this was sort of my, my, in, my, on that journey of that philosophy of life, this was like the, the, okay, there's no going back moment, but it was also like a low rock bottom for me. Um, I locked my phone. So I seal beach, Southern California. I, uh, it was the, the beach that I grew up at, I parked my car in the grocery store or like the grocery parking lot out in front of the pier, um, locked my phone in my car and then took my wallet and my keys and I left them at the very end of the pier, like past the railing. I was hoping that they would fall into the water so that like any trace of me would be gone. And my plan was literally to change my name and just walk the earth and like see if someone would join me. That was my mental state. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I got to do it. Like I've been saying that this is how things should be. So I got to act on it. And I got to a certain point. I had walked miles. I gave away my last cigarettes to like a homeless guy on the corner of PCH and Seal Beach Boulevard. And um, I remember getting to this spot after walking forever. Um, it was my first apartment I ever lived in. And I remember sitting there across the street from it just sobbing and I realized like I don't know have you guys seen Into the Wild yeah it's great. okay it's beautiful Emil Hirsch he's so good um Love it. but he um the last words that he says uh and I hope I'm not spoiling this for anyone it's been out for a while so it's okay <laughs> but um he he travels out to the wilderness and basically leaves society very very similar apropos story um and he the last thing he says before he dies is that love is only real when it's shared um and that's a paraphrase um but i just i had this flash of like oh my gosh like i'm leaving behind my friends and my family and my estranged wife and my you know like the people that care about me i'm leaving them behind for this weird ideal that may not even pan out and i don't even know where it's honestly coming from um, and it made me turn around. And so I called AAA from a gas station or like a grocery store actually. And they, they 
broke into my car for me. My phone was dead, so I used my last $10 to buy a charger, charged my phone, turned on my phone, and there's, like, the police were calling me, and, like, my parents were like, are you are you dead? <laughs> and there was, like, a search party looking for me, and I realized that people cared about me. And, like, that, I, I, I did something really gnarly because I had to act out this, like, search for truth in a very physical, visceral, tangible way. And what it ended up making me do is start running the opposite direction. I was running away from everything. I was like an astronaut running from Earth um, as far as I could. And I realized I was like, I need to go back to all the places that I'm running from and make these things right before I do anything that changes the world. Because if I can't, if I can't actually make a difference in my own family and friends, then how am I going to change 8 billion people's mind? Um, I'll just end up being a homeless dude ranting about, you know, like space travel and ziggurats. So, um, <laughs> so that started this process of 180 turning and the natural progression was as soon as I ran back towards my family, I ended up moving up with my family who live in Redding, California. Um, they love Jesus. And at the time I was like, I was willing to look into any religion, but Christianity because of trauma or uh intellectual i felt like i had crossed that off the list already so i was like ah, i can't be that because I, I i i literally spent like 23 years looking into that or living that and it didn't work out for me turns out i just you know like <laughs> took a took a couple more months and it would have worked out great um mm -hmm. but yeah so probably december of this last year i um started having really crazy co like coincidences and i say that with air quotes um uh, they were definitely not coincidences um and the the sort of turnaround is that since i i got to this point where i humbled myself and i was like you know what jesus like if you're it then show me and there's been constant little miracles like just enough to keep me in a place where i'm like i can't doubt this but also, like, I'm not going to go easy on it. Um, and I have not been disappointed since coming back. Um, and Jesus just like, like, I, I'm just so constantly newly mind boggled by this rabbi that lived thousands of years ago that <laughs> somehow is still relevant to me, <laughs> to me <laughs> more so than any other, like, historical figure ever. Um, yeah. and. I am convinced that he's the creator of the world. And to segue back into those big ideas, my thinking, and this is a, my axiomatic approach to things, is that um, if I'm in conversation with the creator of the world, then I have, that's like, that's like, a, that's like having an iPhone and wanting to know how it works and going and asking Steve Jobs about it. Or even better yet, having a Tesla and asking Elon Musk how it works. And he knows all the secret, like, he's like, yeah, there's some, like, Easter eggs in there where it can do the... Have you heard of that, where it does the ballet thing? No. You guys know about awesome. that? <laughs> like, it drives? It's, it's great. In a ballet? Yeah, it, like, da it dances. Um, I want to test it. And, like, yeah, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Is it also but, when he has the disco lights and stuff going on? Yes, yes. <laughs> So, so that's the, the concept now is that I'm like, if, 
if I'm in conversation with the the one who made the universe, then I should understand things relationally where I don't even have to back engineer it through observation and, you know, repeatable patterns. I just ask the maker. Um, and so that is the concept now. And I obviously it's a relationship. And so I feel like it's been a lot more foundation of like, let's let's like make you better, not not better, but like, let's let's restore you as Josiah before we like download these like very uh, groundbreaking sort of concepts. But it feels like I'm like, I'm on the verge of it. And it's more of like, I'm having to build my character and get like a level foundation. And then stuff's just going to start happening. Um, but yeah, so we're in a very interesting time right now. <laughs> yeah. And that that brings us to present moment. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you for Present. sharing, bro. That's so great. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. I have a question for you regarding that, actually. I was yeah. That from the beginning. And I'm just really interested in how, well, when you started to, well, I mean, there is a certain part of what we nowadays would call deconstruction. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, when you started to, like, go through that process, how did your church and your people around you respond to it? How did they... Like, did they help you? Did they, how did it go? Um, the two things, the two ways that I would answer that is that first of all, um, I didn't do a good enough job of actually seeking help with it. Um, I kept it pretty isolated. Um, and that was out of fear of getting fired. Um, and so I didn't feel like my questions were, and this was probably endemic of me. I don't know if I use that word right, but it, this was a result of me not feeling safe enough to bring those questions forward as like a staff member. And you could either put that on the culture of the church or you could put that on me not being transparent enough. Um, either way, there is something wrong there. Um, but I will say that... Um, I actually, before I deconstructed, had an experience um, where I was leading worship and um, some of the, I, I was a youth worship leader and some of the kids during a summer camp started, um, there's this thing called like laughing in the spirit where like, you know, like we're just playing worship and people just start laughing hysterically. And it was sort of this like presence of God moment. It's the first time I'd ever experienced it. I've heard, I'd heard of it, but it was happening and it was sort of on my watch. And I remember getting investigated for it. Um, and maybe investigated is a strong word, but there was this sort of like, let's look into this to make sure everything's kosher and like all good. But I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like God just moved and the pastors of my church thought that it was wrong. And so I suddenly had a mistrust of my leadership Um and maybe they were maybe they were in the right for that. I don't know. That's not it's not my place to say at this point. But I remember at that point I had a mistrust of leadership because I was like, God just moved and they didn't recognize it. So therefore I don't trust them to tell me the truth about God. And so when the doubts hit, I felt isolated. Um and so I didn't actually go to any of my leadership because I was like, Well, no, they're not gonna know. Um and I went to the internet and I went to, you know, like other people that were deconstructing and uh so yeah and then it just accelerated the process um which is maybe good because i think i needed to go through it um and so the accelerated 
process helped it come to its, uh, you know, sort of grand finale sooner. But yeah, it could have gone differently. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember <laughs> going through a similar deconstruction uh, right around the same time you were. And I remember connecting with you because you were feeling these things that I was starting to feel. And part of that was some changes that the church was going through and some shifts in the culture and direction of the church. It was just different from what you and I really wanted and what we initially you know, signed up for when we started working there. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember actually doing the opposite of what you did. Like, I don't know if this was the right or wrong thing to do, but I remember like mm. going to the senior pastors and like taking them out to lunch, like the head pastor. And being, That's a great move. <laughs> well, well, can you explain like the creation of the universe and aliens and all of my questions? Yes. <laughs> and uh. it was interesting because the answers I did get wasn't what necessarily saved me from complete deconstruction because every answer was very personal and unique. Um, mm. So what it, it so it kind of frustrated me a little bit more. Like ah, oh, there's no right answer. What everybody's got their own thing that they believe, but that in a way saved me because it led me to seek the truth for myself mm. and do it in the healthiest way I knew, which was remove the thing that is hurting me, which was my job at the time, and mm. find a new thing that reignites my faith. Mm. Yeah. Which was... Uh, what was that for you? It was doing missions again and going overseas and... Mm. Um, being in different cultures and uh, like basically and like going back to school basically and, and like discipleship school which is what I've shared about before and like learning the fundamentals of this and making it something I could own for myself and it just yeah. um, became true what's funny is that I went through a different deconstruction in, in a different way when I came back from that discipleship when I came home and kind of went through like a I don't want to say PTSD but uh, like, <laughs> like it did feel like that though and um I could get into that but what what I do really want to talk to you about Josiah is like is like getting into the supernatural stuff and that stuff mm. that you did believe and even still believe now and what you really love about that and what you've discovered with your journey there. Yeah. Um, do you have a specific route that you want to like sort of go with that? Because there's, I, I can just go like, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So relating it to creativity. How, okay. What's like, when you create and you want to dive into like the crazy weird supernatural like how do you put that into what you create and what are those things that you believe in or have believed mm. okay yeah um the first thing that comes to mind is um is a quote from einstein which is uh 
that it's to uh, he said essentially i'm paraphrasing here but he said i seek to know the mind of god everything else is just details um and as far as creativity goes um i am convinced at this point that um oh, okay i'll set it up with this um the first way that i was comfortable with addressing god in a personified way that wasn't like like my version of god for like a long time last year was a mixture of like the concept of love and the force from star wars like yeah. <laughs> like sort of this like uh like generally benevolent like non-anthropomorphized uh like blob um and so the next step up like the 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 training wheels coming off from that um was this image of a conductor um and imagining the entire world as a symphony um and so there's this like everything is perfectly ordered um and there's there's this concept that i've been sort of like working on called the intentional model which is like sort of like i want to introduce it as a new way to like approach um whatever field of study so whether it be science or philosophy or even religion but just imagining that every molecule um at every time in every part of space and time itself is there for a not just a uh, practical reason but a narrative reason and that god is actually um like it, it this gets into like free will stuff a little bit but um essentially it's the concept that that god is God is this orchestrator um, and sort of like this conductor that it's he's at the head and he has this little stick and he's sort of just like everything's written like the 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 score is written the tunes written the melodies are all the best melodies that ever could be and it accounts for everything and we as these agents with free will are sitting there with our you know like trombones and cellos and all these things and it's our decision whether we play the music or not we can play whatever we want to um and we can actually um we can play our own songs that may even sound really good but they're not in tune with the symphony we could be playing our own small at like lowercase s symphony but there's a big capital s symphony going on and that is sort of the even relating it back to uh, the lord's prayer where it's like not you know, like your will be done. Um, like sort of like the kingdom and the will of God is sort of this uh, this grand narrative that um, we can actually submit to. And I'm convinced that the geniuses of history and the great creatives, you know, from Newton to Einstein to Beethoven to Mozart, they were tapping into that ca capital S symphony. And they're actually understanding a, a fundamental um, way that God orchestrates the universe. Um, and the key for people that are creative and that love Jesus is finding those things, finding the little niche where it's like, yeah, God built you with a specific instrument and your uh, specific way to actually understand the symphony from one small facet but you can see the whole symphony it's just from your one facet and if you actually submit yourself to the process 
then you begin to get insights that are like groundbreaking and revolutionary and world changing. Um, the issue is not a lot of people when they get those insights, then give the credit to who they got the insights from. And so then you have geniuses and you have these people that are like, oh, they, you know, they changed the world and maybe they did, but they're drawing from like, like a genius, a human genius is drawing from the true genius, which is the creator of it all. Um, and so that relating it to creativity, um, I would love to see um, a wave of people that are completely submitted to the capital S symphony and are willing to humble themselves and give credit when they come up with uh, the, so the practical solution for world hunger or the blueprints for clean energy. And they're actually like, no, I got this in prayer because I love Jesus. Like, like I, that's, that's what I want to see. I don't, I like, I don't want to see people taking credit for it because then it just becomes a self glorification thing. And then it's like, after that, it's like, well, you're not trusted at that point. Cause you didn't, you didn't, give cred to the one who actually gave it to you. Um, and so I would love to see a, that's, that's sort of where I'm at right now. And I want to live that. I don't want to just like uh, call, like I want to call that out of people and be like, Hey, like, let's like, like, let's, let's pray for understandings of the universe from the creator of it that changed the world and then give credit. I want to actually exemplify that in my own life. And and do it like let's do it um and so yeah so it, i don't know if that fully answers what you were asking but that's where i'm at with creativity and spirituality okay yeah <laughs> one thing i really would love to talk about and uh, in that as well at, uh, when you were talking i was really reminded of the lord of the rings uh, oh. and i don't know if you have read the Sumerian, but when you talk about Some. symphony <laughs> the first thing i think about is that symphony uh, because that actually like completely like goes in line with what you are talking about. And I feel like Tolkien has had a bit of a vision like you have right now. And I'm wondering, like, is that true? Like, how do you see that? That is, it, it, I hadn't made that connection before. And that is exactly what it is. Like, what is it? Melkor or Mount? Like, who's the like evil character that like makes his own melody in it? I think it is Melkor. I think. Okay. Yeah, it's like the who the like Sauron's boss or whatever. Essentially, like he's like the dude who makes anyways. That is exactly what it is. It's um it's the world being created through song. Um and even there's there's things about that how um you know like at the quantum level, like waves are particles and particles are waves. There's like this sort of like intermingling of like everything is like really like the fundamental building blocks of everything are more just occurrences of things like the frequency of how much it occurs determines what type of matter it is. Um, and that concept is like frequencies of occurrence are very similar to the frequency of how many times a string moves on a guitar. Like that's music. So there's from a, a certain perspective, according to quantum physics, like the world is literally music. Um, and, and you think about the concept of like the, uh, the word, like the word of God being this spoken thing, or, um, you know, like you could infer that it could also be sung. Um, there's like this, uh, 
there is this concept of like the world is this song that God is actually actively singing. Um, and that's, that is something that's interesting is that um, I, I, I really would love to see a move away from the deist approach that sort of has crept into how we view God of that God is sort of this like uh, uh, first cause or like unmoved mover that like wound up the clock you know, and then just let it run hands off. Um, I really do believe that God is like in every atom constantly. Um, and that he's actually working and singing new things into existence every moment. And um, it's all intentional. And there's there's narrative reasons for why a bird is flying where it's flying uh, at any given moment, like things like that. It's just yeah, so, yes, exactly. Some really. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Maybe just for the people that don't know about it, uh, in, in essence, what it talks about, that there is a supreme deity who existed before anything else, who created deities in order to create a symphony. Uh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, uh, they were created with the ability to really listen to other, like, to other deities uh, or, like, to other beings in order to make a symphony that would actually flow well. Um, yet these, sim- these, peop- these, these deities all had their own, yeah, let's call it free will, to do anything they wanted, but they felt compelled to be a part of the symphony. And then there was this one, one being that decided to play dissonance during the entire symphony. And in turn, he created, like, the, the symphony was made in order to create. So the symphony created the world and the dissonance from that one being uh, created all the, 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 what we would consider the bad things uh, in the world. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting um, because, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just really reminds me of what you're saying. Mm. Uh, also, if you just look at cultures and how much rhythm and music is considered to be a fundamental aspect of every culture in a way that it's like it is essential in order to actually evolve as a culture, you know, yes. to grasp the essence of maybe your ancestors, to grasp the essence of vision uh, for that culture. You know, where are we going? That all is encompassed in ritualistic music uh, or just really primal, in that sense, primal, like instinctive music. Uh, yeah, and so I really love what you're saying there, uh, because mm. no matter how God uh, did do it, if He either just sp- like how we read it, just spoke, or if that spoke spoken was sung, in mm-hmm. it does also say that God is singing over us. Yeah, He yeah. is singing over us, uh, which is really astounding to me. And the fact that, for instance. One thing that also is really interesting is that when you read about in Genesis about the seventh day, uh, one thing you can notice in your grasp your Bible is that that day never ends. Mm-hmm. There is interesting that it mm-hmm. says, and the night came and the morning came and it was the eighth day. No, 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 never. So God is still in his place of resting and creating, uh, creating in rest, uh, um. just like. Uh, yeah, just right now. So, like when you say he is in every atom, he is still working. He is still moving. He's the way maker. <laughs> All is. Uh, we are not sponsored by any Christian. 
too. Feel free. Anyway, uh, but so that's still happening, you know? Um, yes. And I think um, sometimes we tend to forget that and we just read it as it is. And we tend to actually also, just like the people who wrote it were creative, we as people who read it also need to be creative in order to understand yes. the depth of the things we're reading. So yes, I really love what you're saying. That's great. Uh, uh, that sounds a lot like the string theory. And I remember talking to a friend of mine that the string theory connects to the voice of God and how mm. those vibrations of the earth are actually the Lord's voice being spoken throughout mm. the land and throughout the world doing its mm. work. And what do you think how music in and of itself relates to creation, how music plays a mm. part in the, the creation of the world? Um, music is um, frequency, ratios of frequencies. Um, and so ratios being um, the proportion of one integer to another and then frequencies being how often those occur. Um, and so when you think about music, um, you're, you're talking like when I play the, when I play an A on the piano, there's a numerical value of how many times those strings are vibrating a second. Um, and music is sort of this, um, it's like a, a reflection or like a sample of how the universe is essentially constant occurrences of things popping in it like um if if you look into um sort of how uh things work on a small like a subatomic level uh things have the ability to actually pop in and out of existence in different like points in space um and there's this concept that like when you think about your body it's this solid thing and like i can like i can i can touch it but in reality like at a at a fundamental level like this is just a ton of disappearing and reappearing uh constituents that are sort of like popping in and out at a frequency and so the the frequency that like i have all these cells that are um that are all popping up at the same frequency in a harmony and so my body is actually a harmony of organic material um in the same way that uh, a mountain or a planet or a sun or a, you know like whatever it's all um it's essentially an agreement of matter to harmonize at a specific uh like temperature would be another form of like frequency like vibration so if it's vibrating fast yeah it's like a higher octave is almost like hotter yeah and so music is sort of this window into the fundamental and i'm realizing this right now there's like all of these little um sneak peeks of like yeah this is how the universe works um when you play a when you play a note and we intuitively and this is this is the big thing is intuition we intuitively know when something sounds bad that we just know um and it changes culture by culture a lot of times but usually like even if it's some other culture's music, it still sounds good. Maybe it sounds different, but if they're doing it right, it sounds good. But when we when something sounds bad, like when you play like two notes that are right next to each other, that dissonance where it's a little bit too close, it's like the frequencies are like 
like the the harmony of our being is affected like it's not just what i'm hearing it's like my body is like oh it's a visceral uh like there's a disharmony which is what you're saying about the summerillion is like this sort of um yeah there's like this dissonance and um the dissonance is really important um <laughs> which is actually something that i've had to come to terms with is that um like and this i guess would go into more the concept of sin or the concept of like a fallen uh state of reality that is pervasive in christian theology which is that there's this dissonance in the world that needs to be fixed um and i agree with that but i would love to f- frame that in a new way where it's actually dissonance is really important in music um because it gives contrast so there's there's tension um there's like when you when you play that kind of off chord and you can resolve it um if i just played that dissonant chord it would sound ugly but if i go a bum 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 and i resolve it suddenly there's this like oh i just went on a journey um and that is the point like we're literally like like a chord progression is essentially like let's take four chords and repeat them and make a journey out of it and there's not many chords in music like it's pretty much the same chords repeating in different like sort of like uh different patterns and the world is that it's it's god's narrative unfolding in different uh uh configurations constantly and the, the like the progress of culture it's like we can we can look back at culture 4000 years ago and they're dealing with essentially the same issues um like sort of morally that we're dealing with but it's just like an octave lower and the octaves are slowly amping up um to some grand crescendo uh which is that's how the symphony works um and then i guess like to end that thought is like like i don't know if the symphony the symphony may have an end but I, I am personally of the opinion that this symphony sort of just goes on forever. Like, <laughs> like I, I think that we just continue to discover and to learn and to grow and to play. And that's the kingdom. The kingdom is everyone getting on board and everyone playing their part in the symphony. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me, you know, if you read in Revelations, mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation, not the, in the yeah. <laughs> uh, man <laughs> everyone makes that mistake i'm sure anyway <laughs> but so in the book of revelation there are two things that really stand out for me in this is one if you read revelation 7 it says you know that every tribe every tongue every culture every everyone will be in front of the throne of god eh, surrounding him and singing and so that doesn't mean that everyone suddenly is speaking English and singing uh, in in um, in a Western American style, you know, yeah. <laughs> progressions and stuff. That means that everyone is bringing whatever they have as a person, and they are sharing it in front of the throne of God yes. as an act of worship. Which means that, like, if we're talking about hearing and talking about like um, just perce- perceiving the goodness uh, of creations through music and sound, you know. Um, that means that there is something deeper than just our cognitive vision, uh, you know, and hearing that uh, that makes us say, "Oh yeah, yeah." Now, 
now it sounds good. You know, that goes beyond theory. You know, that goes yeah. beyond music theory. It goes beyond our musical knowledge whatsoever. That also means, you know, it's not just the worship leaders and the big people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's say like that big people that uh, that stand in front of the throne of God and say, well, we are the worship leaders, so we will worship lead for you. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. I mean, that's not, yeah. just not... It, it's the people that we... That's also what Jesus says. It's the people that we would not think of that would actually get into the kingdom of God. So the people that yes. we suspect would... Uh, would have more difficulty getting into the kingdom than the ones that are not because it's yeah. it's the humble it's the people that are broken it's the sick that will get there so yeah. those will also stand and sing in front of the throne of god at the end of yeah. you know and so um there is a deeper feeling so when people say i'm not musical uh, i would say well, <laughs> I mean, there's an inner thing inside of you that would actually really disagree with you there mm-hmm. uh, yes and it's it's interesting because you know for instance also when you're talking about like revelation 8 i think when uh you have the elder sitting on the throne of god oh yes you have um um, um you have the angels that are like surrounding the how do you call them again i suddenly forget their names uh, that are flying above the throne of god yeah uh, and uh they have are filled with eyes and every time when there is something from the glory of God that is shining in their eyes, their eyes they pierce, they, they close because it's too much and the moment that it happens they will shout holy, 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 mm-hmm. you know yeah. and the elders will fall down on the ground that happens for eternity, yeah. they are filled yeah. with eyes apparently there's more glory of God uh, uh, that like, than eternity can handle, so for, yeah. <laughs> we will have to discover, really we will discover new things Yes. The Bible's pretty clear that it's not when we see God, everything will be made clear. No, no. What the Bible says, uh, when we are at the end of times, God, he, he will give a, be available to show us everything that he is. But it yeah. will take eternity to really show. And yeah. We'll always see and fall down, you know? Yeah. I love that idea about music. Like you say, it's a symphony that goes on and on and on. And yes. Bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. That is really good. That is really biblical that is amazing yeah <laughs> and to to bounce off that um you think about like you know you're talking revelation like in genesis uh humanity is framed as the image of god which according to sort of the hebrew way of thinking it, an image like when i have a kid that kid will be my image um and it will have my traits um uh, he or she will be like me and so when God creates humanity, God creates all of us to be like him. <laughs> and so thinking about that, where it's the supreme source of creativity, the creator creates creators that are then inspired by the creator to create new creations with the creator. And when you think about it, it's like literally God planned an eternal collab. Like, <laughs> like, like it literally, like the point, the point is for him to make this symphony that ends up getting us to be co-writers at a certain point. Like when we're submitted enough, then it's like, oh, I'm writing this too. What? Like you trust me enough to actually make my own solo right here? He's like, yeah, dude, like you got it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Go dude, and, shred it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that sounds like heaven. <laughs> 
it's there. <laughs> a specific person. I know we spoke about Mozart or uh, even Einstein. That was someone that was a creative that really either inspires you or their story impacts you in a specific way. Like, even as a musician. As a musician. Um, man. Honestly, this is gonna. This is I, I. This is gonna be a niche person, but uh, do you know who Jason Upton is? No, I love that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> he is great. He is woo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, if you don't know who Jason Upton is, and you're listening to this, look up the YouTube thing of he has this one song. It's called Fly, and you gotta look up the story about it. And then watch the video of it. And Josh, you're going to love this so much. Um, this Great dude... a lot of worship, this guy, honestly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He does... And I, I don't think I coined this term at, at all, but this is the term... This is the best term that I can use for effective creativity. Practicing availability. Like, that is the key to being... It, it, so far in my life, that's been the biggest um point of success is not trying to make good songs or not trying to write interesting things from the get-go but practicing availability to hear what's already written um and to to hear the music that is happening instead of trying to manufacture it hearing what's happening and then actually harmonizing with it so so it's every song is already written every every melody is already existing and imagining that god is this infinite creator that's already created everything but he's like i've already created everything but you get to actually create something as a call it's a call and response and so jason upton what he does is he listens and you can hear it in how he plays his music is that he's not trying to play the song as it's written he's listening for that exact moment to hear what needs to be sung. And whether that's on script with what he wrote or not, um, he's gonna he's gonna do what he hears. And that is that is true creativity. It's it's not planned, it's not manufactured, it's not forced, it's not um, it's not even invented. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, it's 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 practicing that availability of like I'm I will hone my gift. I will I will use my talent to use the uh, parable of the talents. Like I'm going to multiply my talent that Jesus has given me and actually be ready so that when the moment comes, if I'm a painter, I'm going to make that hard left turn and have the skill and the ability to actually go with what I'm hearing or with what I'm seeing or with what I'm being given in the moment um, rather than sticking to my own plan. And it's sort of this creative decision of saying, your will be done, not mine, even if I have a plan. Um, but you have to have a plan to sacrifice. Like you have to have an Isaac to take up to the, you know, like to for there to be a ram in the thicket and God to provide the, you know, substitution, you have to already be up there with the Isaac. Um, and so that's the point of being a creative is sort of like hone your gift, get good at what you do, so that when the moment comes, you can sacrifice everything you worked on. And that's costly. That like that costs a lot. <laughs> but you can sacrifice it for what God has. 
And then he'll probably resurrect what you were going to do in the first place in a way better way than you ever thought. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, yeah. That's amazing. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> uh, as we wrap it up, David, was there anything that you wanted to talk about? Um, I, I, I did want to, we both wanted to bring up a few more things just about deconstruction really quick. Yeah. But... Um. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's a, I think it is important to talk about it. I felt like you know, when, when, for the people that don't know, uh, we had a quick Zoom intermission since we don't have money, and so we use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, during the intermission, uh, I talked with Josh, and there is this part that really is close to my heart in this time, or has been for maybe the last six, seven months, and it's just a topic of deconstruction. Uh, mm. I think it's just good uh, since, well, we have you right now uh, to talk about it a bit. Um, well, and to, um, maybe before we go into anything, Josh, uh, Josiah, can you uh, give something like a definition for what you think would be deconstruction? Mm. Yeah. I think deconstruction is the enemy testing to see how committed you are to this faith and mm. piecing lies into your life and questions that will ultimately make you stronger. I truly believe that. I, I think there is a healthy side of deconstruction, but that is how you define deconstruction. Is, yes. is this truly falling away from God, or is it tearing down some things that weren't quite foundational to build back up this fortified, perfect belief that completely fills your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what about you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with what you were saying. It Deconstruction feels like this purifying fire um, that that takes all of the beliefs that you that we get handed is uh whether you deconstruct from christianity or hinduism or atheism or any worldview um i really do firmly believe that even even political worldviews like that those can be deconstructed out of um i think that deconstruction isn't uh entirely religious um or spiritual experience but it is just the process of testing what you believe to see if it's real. Um, and I think that deconstruction is the most healthy thing with the caveat that we need to steward what we have seen and experienced. Um, and by steward, I just mean take note, uh, journal. Like if you've seen a miracle, if you've seen God do something, if you've seen unmistakable, like, yeah, this is real and I can't deny this, hold on to those things through the deconstruction so that you have an anchor. Yeah. Um, and that that's really important because I didn't do that. And um, I wish I would have, um, but my story is what it had to be for me to get to the point that I am. So there's, it's not, a, I, I don't regret it and everything's been redeemed, but um, there's this concept of like deconstruction can be the most health, can actually produce a more vibrant faith um, if it's done in the right way, but there is a way to do deconstruction that can hurt you and the people around you. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. In in one sense, you know, I am right now really reminded of Job. 
from each other. Yeah. <laughs> How much that is a deconstructionist story. Of yeah. someone that actually his life is deconstructing literally as we read it first by verse. He is losing everything. And I think um uh, in that also part of his faith, but he is holding on, like you said, to the things that he believes. Eh? Yes. That is his anchor. And then there are people that are speaking into his life that are not healthy. And yeah. the most interesting thing to me is that those are the people he would call believers in his mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, one person that really I've been following lately, you would know him, I think, Josiah. His name, uh, he goes by Ecclesia. It's a... Uh, huh. uh, I don't know if you know him. Uh, uh, it's a great guy. You should really listen to his music. It's okay. Really, this nice, you know, Hispanic, uh, Ooh. native influence. He really tries to reconcile his native culture with the Western culture and with Christianity. Ecclesia. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but he is gone. Like he is going through what he also would call a deconstruction, and. You know, I fully support his his whole road and everything he's going through. Uh, you know, whatever I might believe about it, that's not a point. But what does really did really shock me, honestly, was how there were believers that would suddenly start to really judge him and huh. really fight him. And it is something that I have been noticing in general with the whole deconstruction thing. Apart from what we as Christians believe, or just in general of what you believe, the person that's listening, whatever what you believe, whatever where you're in, the one thing that really messes up anything, apparently, like is judging the person going through that's going through that. Because yeah. honestly, what it shows, it shows how what the true nature of the hearts if is of, of the believers that are following him. But it's also, it shows how fragile that process is. And he has, to, yeah. he decided at that point to really just step away from, from their point of view, which I totally get. Because if you're, if you're suddenly hearing one opinion really aggressively, then you don't want to be a part of that opinion. Mm-hmm. That's just how that yeah. works. You know, I think you, I totally agree with you about the whole vibrant faith. It's, yeah. uh, that is so true. But have you experienced that as well when you were going through that? Like, that's why I asked the question in the beginning. Um, how did you experience that? Yeah. Um, I, the first experience that I had with that was um, uh, my opinion. And this is... A lot of theology at this point in my life, I would consider opinion, and that doesn't make it any less um, meaningful or impactful, but I do think that we need to have an open hand with our assumptions about God and how God works. But my first thing that really got me was hell. Um, I had a really hard time with the concept of hell, um, and I mentioned it to one of the volunteers that was under me um, in youth. Um, And I was moving from the um, sort of the general view of hell that it was this eternal damnation sort of thing to a more um, annihilationist view um, and sort of exploring that. And annihilationism, just to like give a quick, that, that is one Christian view of hell that essentially eternal life is granted to the people that have it. And if you don't have eternal life, then when you die, you just die. Um, Rather than being sent to this place of eternal life 
but being punished. Um, and I still actually love that concept where it's like, yeah, if you don't believe in eternal life, then you don't live eternally. Um, but and there's arguments back and forth. And so I'm not I'm not making a claim either one way or the other. But I remember um, I mentioned that and word got out that I was questioning um, sort of this concept and wrestling with it. And because of that, I was um, I was actually taken out of a leadership position um, and sort of like benched for a while. <laughs> like and I ended up going from like. I like there was like a thriving worship thing in our youth ministry and I ended up being like put to the sort of and I, it was needed because I was going through a lot of stuff but like I was put to the back didn't really get to sing didn't really get to talk and wasn't even really um I wasn't really dealt with in a way that respected the questioning it was more just like hey like like it, it more revealed that it was like other Others were afraid of my questions because then it raised questions in them. And I think that that's a lot of the response um, to deconstruction is that it awakens insecurities in other people's faith that then they respond to you in a, in a, def a defensive way that feels offensive, if that makes sense. Like, like, a, like almost like, whoa, you're questioning something that's fundamental what I, to what I believe. So therefore, instead of me wrestling with that with you and actually trying to come to some sort of nuanced understanding, I'm just going to attack you so that I don't have to think about it and actually make you the enemy when in reality, and this isn't everybody, but I think that a lot of times people that are deconstructing hit this wall with their community where um, their questions uh, provoke fear in their community. Um, and which can lead to ostracization. I don't know how to say that. Ostracization. Um, but yeah, so that, that kind of, I don't know if that fully answers it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, I mean, I, we could both talk about this forever, but <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to go too long, but I, I think you gave a genuinely heartfelt, solid, personal answer and i know i could talk about my story as well and like the, the response from people and how different people react and i liked how you talked about different insecurities um we really should wrap it up because we've gone like over an hour um i love i love to like we love we would love to end these after we've had this like super deep conversation with just like a funny question just <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there, oh, there's, there's two. I'll, I'll pick one. What's a secret society that you would start? That I would start? Yeah, <laughs> that you would start, not join. Start. Oh, which one do I pick? <laughs> oh man, I would love to start a secret society about um. <laughs> Trying to find Atlantis. <laughs> I would join. I would join. I would join. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Let's go. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> no one knows that fun fact about me. Yeah. me. I'm obsessed with Atlantis. <laughs> it's go so it. awesome. Let's go. <laughs> oh man, with the trident. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for 
being huh. on this episode of Creationship Goals. We literally talked about everything that we wanted to, and uh, awesome. we appreciate you coming out. Thank you for coming on. I know it's 1230 at night. All good. Us, but <laughs> it's just so cool. Such a blessing to have you. You're a great friend, and glad yeah. you're part of my life. Dude, love you, Josh. And it was so good meeting you, David. I, I just want to talk to you in general. <laughs> Sounds good. Hit me up, mate. Yeah, hit me up. Sounds Hit's good. good. <laughs> All right, hey, Josiah. Where can they find you if they want to follow you, or if if there's a way to listen to music that you have? Is there any way that they can find you? Um, I have an Instagram that is just a tray you. If you've ever seen Never Ending Story. Um, that's like the main character in it. It's just a tray you with a ton of use. Um, I barely have any followers. I deleted my old Instagram account. So it's like a little thing. Um, and then I have music on Spotify that is from an old project that I wouldn't recommend listening to. Uh, <laughs> and I have a SoundCloud. I have a SoundCloud that I also wouldn't recommend. So music is forthcoming. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... So just follow me on Instagram or, you know, get my number or something. We'll chat. <laughs> I, uh, and I am Josh Volcano. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Josh Volcano. Yes. And you can find me also almost everywhere at david.rdh. All right. Cool. Cool. Thanks for listening. Cool. If you're on YouTube, like and subscribe and we will see you next time. Bye, if guys. you follow us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts or anything, please, can you give it a like, give it a share? Oh, yes. Please do. Would really appreciate it. Give it a five-star rating. Thank you <laughs> so much. <laughs> All right, guys. Bye. Ciao.